Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Tiny House Summit. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I am here with Justin and Bianca Metz. Justin and Bianca live in a 240-square-foot tiny house with their five-year-old son, Bodhi. Bianca is a tiny house consultant, sustainable living specialist, and co-producer of the Tiny Home Show. Justin is a Montessori adolescent teacher and backcountry wilderness guide. Justin teaches the principles of permaculture, incorporating them into his school's outdoor programs and curriculum. Both Justin and Bianca have lovingly adopted permaculture into their homestead, businesses, and daily lives. Learning to live with the land harmoniously, building a resilient lifestyle, and raising the next generation to do so as well. Justin and Bianca, welcome to the summit. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thanks, Ethan. Yeah, glad to have you both here. So... I was thinking that we should probably start just with uh, what what is permaculture? Just a, a general definition of permaculture. Forgetting forgetting tiny houses for a second. Like what what is it? Sure. Do you want me to start, Hun, or do you want to go in? Go for it. I'll support. It. Okay. Awesome. As always. So, <laughs> as always. Wonderful. So permaculture is quite a unique approach to essentially land management design. And also you can use permaculture for agricultural design and, and for businesses and, and just your general lifestyle. But more traditionally, permaculture is associated with this understanding of agricultural ecosystems. So permaculture itself is essentially, in a nutshell, holistic systems thinking and holistic systems design. So everything you do and everything you approach in your life, you can utilize the principles of permaculture in the approach in planning in planning that out. And so what that means is that you're thinking about the holistic systems and how they work together harmoniously with nature always in mind and always at the forefront. Cool. Justin, do you, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I think to scale down a little bit, I'd, I'd like to mention, and we can maybe deep dive into these a little bit later in the, in the conversation, but um, there are 12 principles of, of permaculture, and I'll list those off relatively quickly. The first being observe and interact. Two, to catch and store energy. Obtain a yield. Apply self-regulation and, and accept feedback. Use and value renewable resources. Produce no waste. Design from pattern to detail. I know that'll be a big one we chat about. Integrate rather than segregate. Use small and slow solutions. It's great for tiny houses. Use and value diversity. Use edges and value the marginal. And the last one is creatively use and respond to, to change. So those are some guiding principles. Permaculture is such a huge concept. Um, so those are really some principles that Bianca and I really try to kind of tie ourselves back to whenever we're faced with design challenges. So I just wanted to, to list those off and maybe a little bit later, we can dive into a couple of those. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm not a permaculture expert at all. Um, so, you know, you are both my, you know, our guide through this, my understanding, and you also have already mentioned this, that it's. To, to an outsider, you, you hear the word permaculture and you probably just think about garden design. Um, but I know that you can use permaculture as a lens for, for much more than that. Um, so maybe, maybe you could talk about, you know, for somebody who, who isn't living tiny yet, who maybe even hasn't started designing a tiny house yet, how, how would they start to adopt 
a permaculture mindset or a permaculture lens. That is an amazing question. At the very beginning of their (laughs) tiny house. No, I can answer this question. So one of the big approaches to permaculture, again, is this slow and simple solutions. (laughs) And if you were to start adopting permaculture approaches into the planning systems and into your life in general, you're asking yourself the questions to set the foundation. So you're kind of presenting yourself and answering those questions such as what is my intent in moving tiny or otherwise what does my what are my quality of life statements which is a big permaculture approach is setting quality of life statements and that doesn't mean i want to be a good person and i hope to have an acre farm one day it's when i'm 70 i'm surrounded by happy and healthy people i'm happy and healthy my children are, are resilient nature is abundant around me. Those are kind of quality of life statements you can ask yourself. So one to start adopting permaculture in those approaches can start with that foundation because then everything you choose and everything that you adopt moving forward from that umbrella, you're going, you're making those decisions based on the lens of where you see yourself in your life, assessing and asking how you measure success, what your lifestyle can look like, are are really great ways in which you can start that holistic systems thinking and then you start practicing it in, in quite literally everything you do. So for Justin and I, anytime we're presented with a challenge, anytime we're presented with an opportunity, we always go back to the foundation of what is our quality of life? Where do we see ourselves? How is this going to affect the land and ourselves as individuals and as a couple? How is this going to affect our children? And, and how is this going to affect the greater community? And when you can start answering those questions, you're, the path you're supposed to take and the choices you are supposed to make will present themselves naturally. And so that's really at the base of it where I would start is, is really getting to know yourself intimately and asking those hard questions. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, that's one of the permaculture design principles I, I was hoping to talk about today, which was designing from pattern to detail. Um, Bianca and I it took us the better part of maybe over a year to to, to design our living room. Um, you know, when you're first starting on your on your tiny journey, you're, you're designing space that you think is functional, and uh, or also what what might look nice what you've seen on tv what you've seen on on these tiny house shows that might look nice and and ours did for the first year but it was super um it was not functional what we really love to do as a family is cuddle on the weekend and snuggle and read and sit by your fireplace and watch movies so it took us a year to to figure out that we needed a massive sectional couch for the one end of our tiny house and that really changed how we use the space and how we interacted with each other. So to, to, to piggyback on what Bianca was saying, really know yourself, observe your daily patterns and what are the things you really love to do? Start with your own habits first and then work to the details of planning um, your house. Um, and that can go with your garden as well too. If you think about um, um, if you're really into herbs and veggies, maybe those are things that you want to plan to have closer to your door. If you use those every every day, um, making those more accessible to you. Um, we have a fireplace, so one thing I'm still working on is, is creating um, a wood source that's closer to the house so that I don't have to 
walk a mile to go and get wood and try it back in the middle of a Canadian February. That's one thing that I'm, I, I'm learning, even though it makes sense where it is right now. It's just, um, it's just observing my own patterns and working towards those, those details that make your life more efficient. Interesting. So that's, I'm, I'm starting to understand what it means to design from pattern to detail. So it's kind of observing your own patterns, your own needs, and really getting a handle on what those are before you actually do the design work. And so that way your design work can reflect those needs. Absolutely. And I, I, I would say maybe I underestimated. I think Bianca and I have really, we've been in the tiny house for four years now. And I think we're really just now at the point of having things, having it work for our family. And with, with a toddler, of course, those mm-hmm. things are always changing. But um, that would be what I'm a big piece of advice to you with designing is don't rush into filling your house with couches and cabinetries and, and, and just, um, art designs, things like that. Spend a little bit of time in your house, even if it means not having a couch at all for, for a month before you, you, you purchase something that big, um, just to observe and interact with the space, which is another design principle as well. Observe and interact with the space. I like that. So, we've we kind of started at the beginning and i know that it's it's hard to stay stay at the beginning it's 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 good to jump around um any any additional thoughts about like in particular the the design process of of designing a tiny home i have one thing i'd like to speak about unless Bianca, yeah. you want to jump in and, and talk about something Another des- design principle was, um, I'll share an example. I'm, I'm very example yeah. oriented. I like to hear about group of people's experiences as they're explaining things. So, um, another design principle is, is produce no waste. Um, mm. have a look at when you're designing things or you want to build, build something around your tiny house, such as a deck, which is what I took on over, over COVID. Uh, mm. it's really amazing how our, our brains are trained to thought think, okay, when I want to build a deck, I, I go straight to the Home Depot website and see how much wood costs and all of these things and how to design it without even really thinking about it. And it, it took me about five minutes to that feeling that set in that was just like, this isn't, this isn't right. We have this beautiful tiny home that has lots of thought and intention and we use materials. Why am I going on to Home Depot where lumber is a crazy expensive? But do I really want like a cookie cutter Home Depot deck in front of my very artistic, tiny, tiny house. So that was a really big learning opportunity for me as well, but also to remember, yeah, produce no waste to use what we have. Um, reuse, upcycle things. Um, it's really a big principle that Bianca and I really strive to be better at is upcycling, reusing things, repurposing, buying secondhand, uh, really falls in line with our, what we're, our lifestyle and our beliefs. So, I went right on to Facebook Marketplace and found a lovely couple who were selling their farm, who had all of this beautiful um, upcycled barn barn board, um, cedar, pine, oak. And we went right up to her farm, which was 15 minutes from us. And she was so lovely. She helped us walk through all of the old woods. She had stories behind all of the, whether it was the oak or the pine, she knew where it came from. There's a story be- behind each piece of that of that deck. And we really ended up 
um, becoming friends after this. And how many friends can you say you make when you make a trip to Home Depot? So that was another part of this as well. And she was really big into permaculture and homeschooling. So you start to think about things differently and you open up your world to different experiences. And um, um, that was a really great learning opportunity for me. And now every time we host people uh, on our deck and in the summer, uh, we can share that story of, of, of that farm and where this, where this wood came from. And um, I remember also at the time too, they, she had contractors calling her uh, night and day because um, the wood supply at this time during COVID, of course, everybody was building decks. So she was turning down people for way more money than Bianca and I were, were willing or uh, could spend. Um, uh, because she wanted the the word to go to a good home and now you know it's, it's really nice that i you know i can i took pictures and shared stories and we still uh connect from time to time and it's just that little mindset change that that it can take just thinking outside of the box not going with with the norm with the big box stores and open and it may not be easier um but it's definitely going to help you live the life you you're you're saying that you want to live. Um, it was also way uh, cheaper, to, to be honest. I, I, I priced that deck out at, at a thousand of two or three thousand dollars at Home Depot, and the, the whole deck all in cost us about three hundred bucks. So it was a win-win. Wow. wow. So again, yeah. <clears throat> all from just questioning, you know, stopping and saying yeah. like, "How can I do this without, you know, wasting?" producing no waste and, and that led you to finding re reused wood and creating a, a relationship in your community. Absolutely. And that, that leads us to another trick to you. Sorry, Bianca, if you want to jump in on, on this, but um, um, that's one way when we're talking about designing tiny houses, um, that's one way Bianca and I really, it helps us minimize what we bring in the house where we want to say every, th every item that we have in our house from a picture frame to um, antique little dogs and ducks and things like that, that Bianca used to collect when she was a, a, a child and mm -hmm. uh, artwork um, from our, our five-year-old son or, or, or Tom Thompson with everything that we have in our, in our house t tells a story. So if we're not able to, to have an item in our house and look at it and there's there's not a story behind it that we can share with love and appreciation then maybe that thing isn't shouldn't be in the house and that's mm -hmm. kind of how we kind of limit um the stuff that we have but also how we kind of increase the artistic creativity and 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 love this in our house as well it's just by asking ourselves like what is this what, what I think is, that's a really important point. And one thing tells. that I definitely want to hone in on is this kind of this concept that permaculture ahead, is strictly um, based on gardening and agriculture. And it is a way that we grow food organically or otherwise, because that is typically how people see permaculture. That is how it's most recognized in the world. But anyone who's on a tiny home journey can, I think, really attribute that there's always, there's always more pathways to every story. And so permaculture, where it will, it's very much steeped in resilient, sustainable living. Well, resilient, sustainable living can exist in so many different mm -hmm. ways. So the, when you get into permaculture and you start thinking about how to live more harmonious, harmoniously with the land and building from pattern to detail and checking your zones. There's a, a big concept in permaculture about zones. So your home is zone, zone zero. 
your front porch is zone one, maybe that's your, and that's, you know, kind of where you find you spend most of your time. So you're building those areas up. But one thing to note is that while yes, it's attributed to a, a method of gardening, you intrinsically learn so much about yourself and, and how you live and, and who you spend your time with and, and, and these approaches. So when you do approach things like the deck where it's just a seemingly easy project, you actually hit this block where you say, mm, I don't really like that. That doesn't resonate with me. That doesn't sit with me. Well, we have, you know, we've learned about permaculture. We've got our permaculture designation. And so we've been challenged to think differently in these different ways. And so it comes really natural to us. So that's kind of, it's, it's a little more philosophical than just gardening. So the principles, you can really dive deep into that philosophy of it, um, aside from, you know, this kind of concept of organic gardening and sustainable living. That's awesome. I feel like the, you know, the produce no waste um, principle ties so well into something that most people do in tiny houses kind of by default, which is using compost toilets rather than flush toilets. And I feel like that's that's such a win from a permaculture perspective, because, you know, the waste our, our kind of standard waste system, the way that we deal with that normally is kind of broken. Like we're not returning any nutrients back to, to the soil. So go tiny houses, right? <laughs> um, I was, I wanted to ask you, there was another principle and I don't, I don't, I didn't write down the exact language, but it was something about storing energy. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that that can be, that's a challenging one for tiny houses, or at least in my mind it is, there isn't a lot of thermal mass. There's not a lot of space. Um, so how, how has that played out for you or how, how would you, you know, advise people to think about storage okay. in that way? I, I can talk about, so I'm thinking about our energy needs of our houses yeah. powered by um, a wood stove, cubic mini mm -hmm. wood stoves based out of Canada. They're a wonderful company. Um, Wood is and fire is a is a big part of my life and a big part of our life in the in the tiny house that makes it cozy and we cook over the fire as as well. Um, so, where you, I'm talking about when it when it comes to you to designing a space to to chop wood to store wood um, that kind of thing. It's just the, like Bianca was saying use that's an energy storage that we use on a, on a constant basis um before i just would use what was easier easiest was uh, i was chopping wood in our wood lot kind of storing it there under a tarp going going out there in the middle of the winter bringing it back in little tiny pieces our, our stove is six by by seven inches approximately so um, you gotta chop a lot of tiny little pieces that's <laughs> a lot of tiny little pieces to haul back uh three or four hundred meters so again just taking that permaculture Kind of principle to um, becoming a little bit more self-sufficient and sustaining with the, this is the need that I use every day. Just kind of common sense in a in a in a, in a way, um, but storing those needs closer closer to the house. Um, we have a wood storage um, box in our house that we uh, have used out of old uh, wooden milk crates. That's what mm -hmm. I that I hung up on the wall. That's where all of the the kindling and the wood is is stored there. So that was one 
idea of storing energy and keeping those energy sources uh, close to home. Um, we harvest rainwater uh, for our gardens. That's a one um, energy source that, and in the middle of the summer, uh, that is really valuable. Um, so we harvest rainwater for our gardens, for um, our, our fruit trees, that that sort of thing. Um, we're still on the grid. Our, our, yeah, the, that's a big challenge for us as well. Bianca and I living in a northern climate, solar power is um, not the most ideal to to use our energy needs. Um, so we're still working on that. Yeah, so I think our composting system really speaks yeah, for itself. So in terms of this idea of having an energy catchment or an energy um, kind of nucleus to the property, the compost is something that we're we're you know we're producing and and have we have this output of of food waste growing mm. from our garden absorbing that and and bringing that back to the land where catch and store release doesn't necessarily mean I'm I'm taking this energy and I'm I'm honing it in somewhere and I'm keeping it there it, it's it's again it's a cycle so it's cyclical in that what we're bringing in is safe and healthy enough to put into our bodies our bodies are, are expelling that um, our composting toilet is is bringing that and, and doing its thing um, but then our we have a three um, three unit composting system in which, um, you know, that's over a number of years, we can then put that that energy source back into our gardens. And so these are just different points of energy um, that we're, we're either catching, storing, and then utilizing. Um, so it's, again, cyclical, and it's all coming back to itself, um, gray water being perhaps another one, but I think it's more so on the on other end of the spectrum. Um, where again, we're, we're, we have an input of water, but the outflow of water we're now using to water our trees and uh, it's not going into a big grid uh, or into a sewage treatment plant and um, all of those types of things. But then from there, we have to be cognizant mm -hmm. of the products we use. And, and so there's just, it's all, it's all, it all <laughs> blends in together. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one other thing I'd like to add as as we were ch were chatting, um, Bianca and I always, in terms of energy and being sufficient, like our minds always go towards, you know, power, solar, that like that kind of energy. But there's also, mm -hmm. um, um, sorry, sustaining energy. Such there's a term called the highest use, and Bianca mm -hmm. and I, when we take take an item, so let's say. Uh, a whole chicken. We're okay. asked, we're always asking ourselves, what is what is the highest use that that we can get out of this full chicken? Yes, we can cook it, we can have a, we can have a roast, and then we can compost it, or we can can we go a step a step further? Um, what can we use? Could, could some of those chickens scraps go towards our our, our chickens? Um, could they be used to make uh, chicken noodle soup? Then what can we do with the bones after that? So we're always thinking about the maximum level of, of highest use that we can take with, mm -hmm. um, that we can use an item with, whether that's apples, whether that's food, whether that's um, a cardboard box. Like what? How can we make the most? That's a really good use one. Highest of, use is of, so an, important an because it's to coming back that, to that, that concept of whatever I bring um, into my life. Nice. If yeah. it has a beginning and an end, that's pretty quick and over with. Then you you sometimes won't go ahead with that choice. So if I were to say, you know, purchase a deck, 
the highest use of that deck yeah. again is if I dismantle that, I know that this wood is resilient. I'm going to dismantle that deck one day. Can I move it around? Can I make a tree house for my son? Um, can I take the nails and repurpose them? Um, and, you know, perhaps with something that's a little less, uh, you know, <laughs> up to snuff when it comes to wood or, or materials, then I wouldn't have the opportunity to upcycle. So when you're thinking about highest use, you should really be thinking that uh, everything that you're bringing into your life and into your home, materials-wise anyway, um, can serve more than one purpose. And, and we can get into that whole branch. But that's a that's a really good point. Highest use is super important when it comes to all of the principles, catch and store energy, again, being one of them for sure. Yeah, I, this is... This is fascinating to me, and and it, it seems like we're we've kind of gotten into the topic of like kind of living permaculture. Like once you're in your tiny house, or even if you're not in a tiny house, like how you can live a permaculture based life. And so, yeah, feel feel Just- free to, to <laughs> expand on that since we're already we're already going there. I'm really. One thing, one topic we didn't um, um, quite touch upon in this conversation is mm-hmm. observing it and interacting with the natural world. So, uh-huh. um, and bringing that into our life um, as well. So, outside of the of the tiny house, spending a lot of time outside of your house. So, what are some things that bring mm-hmm. you joy? Or, or, um, and what are the things that you're observing that are happening outside of your house are pollinators coming by and just kind of like floating by and, 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 and uh, keep flying or are those things that you'd like to attract and and have more of, um, observing what's happening in nature and trying to replicate how nature is doing what it does and and how we can replicate that in, in, uh, in our own gardens, in our own natural space. Um, Rather than just going up and, and planting whatever kind of plants just because they, they look nice. Um, that was another thing that Bianca and I noticed as well. Like we were buying annual plants in the summer because they were pretty and they looked nice. And we're like, wait a second, like this isn't what nature does. Nature doesn't create annual plants. Nature creates <laughs> perennial, perennial plants, obviously. Yeah. So like, why aren't we, why are we doing that? So we are strictly a perennial family and nothing against annuals. Annuals are still beautiful. Um, Perennials are much better for our, our wildlife, for our pollinators, for, for the earth, for nature. It stops us from going out and buying and, and uh, those those plants, using those fossil fuels to get there. So mimicking kind of um, the natural world in our, in our own life is something that we've really grown to enjoy doing, stopping uh, and yeah, observing really... what is nature doing in, 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 oh, in your and how can you support that and how can you mimic that? So, um, yeah, I was just going to piggyback on that. I mean, one thing cool. that, yeah, that, it's, that sometimes it can be really hard to understand what permaculture <laughs> is and understand no, how you to use ahead. it and understand <laughs> and, and, and really know where to start. And truthfully, I think anyone on this journey practices permaculture to some degree where, you know, if you were interested in going ahead and getting your PDC, your permaculture designation certificate, um, and, and, and going into that course, a lot of people think, great, I'm going to go and get my permaculture certificate. I'm going to learn how to garden and I'm going to learn how to do it sustainably where probably 25% of the course is about gardening. 75% of the course is getting to know yourself 
getting uncomfortable with, you know, who you are and, and how you've gotten to this point in your life and how to challenge the status quo, excuse me, the status quo and the systems that brought us here and, and really just unpack a lot of that because to move forward, you need to set the foundation of intent and where you're going. Because again, if you're making decisions based on your measurement of success of having a big house and a nice car, well, all of the decision-making that you go and enter into from then on will bring you to the trajectory of having a big house and a nice car. And so that's, again, the quality of life statements, this understanding of getting uncomfortable with yourself, learning a little bit more about who you are and why it is you're approaching these subjects in this manner. And then from there, you really start understanding and it really just unlocks this potential within yourself to make sustainable decisions and think resiliently and think differently. And that, I can't tell you how much that's affected our our community and our world and our family and our friends, just, you know, not, not necessarily rudely questioning things, but just saying, hey, have you thought about doing it this way? Or have you thought about um, maybe this instead? Or, hey, did you know that you could a, B, and C. And so um, that's kind of where uh, we've been able to to just come back to basics with our lifestyle and who we are. It's brought us closer as a family. It's really helped us think more critically and analytically um, and holistically as who we are as parents. So it, it really is a lifestyle. It is a way of life and a way of thinking for sure. Awesome. For somebody who's listening to this and kind of is like, okay, I, I want to learn more about this. I want to kind of dive in deeper. Um, what resources are out there? How would you recommend people learning more? Yeah, I have one wonderful resource called Retro Suburbia by David Holmgren. It is an amazing, I don't want to say Bible, but a guidebook to, to permaculture living, everything from yeah, catching and storing energy to, to community living. Um, it's not just about gardening. It's all sorts of lifestyle. Um, yeah, Retro um, Suburbia is definitely on the top of the list. That, that, uh, they're really applicable to anybody who's going um, tiny. So Retro Suburbia is, is definitely my, my number one recommendation. Thank you. <laughs> another guy. Um, they awesome. really jump-started permaculture. And so a lot of their teachings and um, what they've kind of absorbed into, into <laughs> what permaculture is today, I mean, uh, it, there's a, a, a massive movement in systems and in, in this is um, a lot of it is rooted in, in indigenous uh, cultures and teachings and how we bring, how we just dismantle our colonialism and bring ourselves back to a place where we can be stewards of the land alongside our, our ancestors. And so it's a really beautiful spot to look. So um, the books are amazing resources. And also anyone in your local area who's offering permaculture designation program is really great. There are a lot of courses online, um, simply a simple search would would do the trick um, joining permaculture guilds all across the world most cities have them um, if you look towards organic farming and community gardening you'll probably find a few permaculture uh, enthusiasts or practice uh, people who practice that and um, that's kind of where I would start really really asking yourself if, if this is if it fits the picture for you um, I think permaculture is such a beautiful space and um, I think, yeah, just again, using permaculture to assess whether permaculture is right for you. <laughs> it's 
is than um, it going forward with that, yeah. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, Justin and Bianca, thank you so much. This, this I, is amazing. Thank learned you. Learned so much in such a short amount of time, and I'm definitely going to check out that book because it looks awesome. Thank you, Ethan. We're so happy to see you again. Thank you so much.